It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Not going to lie, Josh Brown, there are many ways I could go into this podcast. I am Scott Tilford. You are Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. This is The Wind-Up. Usually we use this to dive into whatever the latest video games are, whatever the latest talking points are in the industry. And we were going to sort of try and find some news points, try and find some stuff. Um, but I think it's better if we just dive into the one thing everyone was talking about across this weekend, which is the Netflix Resident Evil show. Um, I think you're about five episodes in so far? Yes, just finished episode five last night. Right. I, I feel so sorry for you, but I, I managed to get through <laughs> the whole thing um with me just jumping through timelines for the last few episodes i saw a reviewer jeremy johns bailed after the first two episodes the, re- the reception to it has been very mixed to negative even that's being quite charitable i think it has one of the lowest review scores on uh, metacritic or wherever it is um and i just want to know where you're at on it i think we should talk about it in a few different ways i'm i'm with the oh my god it's abysmal crowd i wouldn't recommend this to anyone right i think <laughs> it's like really poorly made i think obviously it's split between two timelines if you don't mm-hmm. know you know one timeline is set in a kind of post-apocalyptic universe mm-hmm. where you follow the or one of the daughters of albert wesker uh, jade wesker and then you kind of cut between that timeline and uh, a timeline like 17 years previously in new raccoon city where you mm-hmm. have the weskers when they're younger and it's kind of pre-outbreak so you're jumping between those two and for me the post-apocalyptic stuff is like embarrassingly bad at times <laughs> like the worst zombie film you've ever seen Just from 2005 uh yeah kind of like brought to life however i do think it's intriguingly bad and there have been enough genuinely good moments and good twists to keep me watching on like episode five i think was the strongest i've seen so far Mm. it's the one that felt the most focused Uh, it mostly takes place in the past timeline Mm. and i'll get into it in a bit more detail but there's been enough for me to keep on watching and there's enough intrigue in there as to why it's bad that i think it's worth talking about and interesting to discuss i think <laughs> i think we we've covered this many times in the past where if something train wrecks hard enough it's kind of just interesting and um, rewinding the tape and watching it back again and going like okay here's exactly where they went wrong or here's the bit that they tried here's the ambition here's whatever and i'll always you know like i said to you before you were recording i'll always champion new stuff i'll always champion like the ambitious side of it although i don't really necessarily think this is ambitious i think there's a lot of this that is just kind of fun it in but i like the idea of doing something new and the idea on paper of what if albert wesker had a family is a great idea like he's such a one-note villain and has been for the entire the history of resident evil yeah. so the idea of being like it's like some weird you know alternate timeline type thing and um, to forgo you know season-long spoilers the way they set everything
everything up is like we're in this weird sort of future version of Res of um, Raccoon City and you've got Wesker with this family and everything. Um, and I was like, that's really cool on paper. I'm there for that. But I think for me, the thing that absolutely drags it down is just the way that it's shot, the way that it's written and the way that it's acted. I think save for Lance Reddick, everyone else, maybe Evelyn is kind of having fun with the script. But right. I feel like, um, I forgot what you call the actress who plays Evelyn. Um, I'm also calling him Lance, Lance Reddick plays Albert Wesker. Um, but yeah, I think that most of it is just so abysmally acted that it's torturous to get through. I was going to address that you said at episode five is um, when things started to kick in for you. I remember thinking it's about um, four, it's it's about halfway through episode four when um, the first thing happens in the lab where they start finding some connections to the old school stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. And I immediately perked up. I was like, this is really, this is kind of cool. This is what I want. Obviously, at some point, you're just kind of having a Pavlovian response to something where it's just like, this is the thing that I know. Um, but I was like, I was like, check the timer. That's four and a half hours in that you've got to invest before you get anything remotely propulsive. Um, yeah, other than, yeah, yeah. You know, the past. Because I also, I, I'll finish my ramble, but I, one thing that they hang so much of the show on is evil thing happened in the past and then future zombie outbreak. What could possibly have gone wrong? And it's like, <laughs> is that not the most obvious thing in the world? Like, I was just watching those first episodes going like, well, we know what, even if you don't follow Resident Evil, you yeah. can easily piece those bits together. Um, yeah, like, I guess, what do you think of that stuff? And also, what did you think of, it's the mildest spoilers for the beginning of the whole season, um, them being able to get into Umbrella Live labs um by just using a voice recording and there's not any security at all uh, all right okay so you, you brought up a lot of stuff <laughs> yes. there and it's all worth digging into going back to what you said at the start of that excellent excellent rant about the acting <laughs> Um, I I kind of agree, you know, like so much of the acting in the show is is so bad. However, what kept me in is the genuinely, I think, captivating performance by Lance Reddick and by mm. the two actors who play his daughters in the past timelines. Really? I don't think the material they have is good, but I do think they are good and they are believable as sisters and they kind of bring this extra layer to the show, especially compared to some of the other characters who have the most one-note actors in the entire What's the future dude? I've just looked up the cast list. It's a uh, Tolo Convery plays Richard Baxter. He's the evil dude in the future who's just the weird gimmicky comedic man, Scottish yeah. guy. Um, his stuff doesn't land at all. His stuff is definitely where you get into the realm of embarrassing because I'm sure the actor is quite good with other material, but they, mm. yeah, like you said, you know, they try to make him this comic relief character and he's supposed to be this OTT guy, like really enjoying the zombie apocalypse, but it absolutely sucks. None of it lands. I don't think any of the humor across the show like lands at all. It's all bad, but he's particularly just terrible. I like mm. the actress who plays Evelyn, like you said as well. I think, you know, that kind of like corporation side in the past timeline, I actually really enjoy. I like the kind of, you know, the big corporation pushing ahead with this drug, even though it has all of these side effects. And yes. I think she kind of brings a real menace to that. I do like the mystery behind Albert Wesker as well. And um, kind of going back to what you said about, you know, like the connections between this TV show and the games, those are also keeping me in. I do like so far what they're doing uh, with the previous games as law because mm. like if you read an interview with the showrunner and stuff he's like kind of upfront about how the games actually happened and you right. start to get more of that in the show afterwards and it kind of makes more sense the longer you go and those mm. little teasers are doing enough to get me in like you say it's like a pavlovian yeah. response but there are some moments where it's more than just kind of like fan service it's actually something neat that they're doing and if it was in a better show i would uh, be like yeah 
like show me more. This is excellent. It's the weirdest thing with the Resident Evil ephemera of the IP, the the connotations, the associations. That stuff is it both hangs around its neck and drags it down, but is also the the only time where you sort of perk up and go like, okay, cool. If you're going to do something with this, then that's kind of cool. I like that you've mapped this out, and this is where the games sit in relation to the story that's happening. And like that's like the best thing about it. Like I said, there's a there's a um, I haven't said to you on this recording, but I told mm. you before. Uh, before recording, there is a big thing in episode seven and um, where a few things get laid out. But like it, overall, I think that it would just be so much better off if it wasn't tied to Resident Evil. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> One man in a tiny room with a tower fan <laughs> um, is my recording situation at the minute. Um, to let anyone else worldwide know, there's a, there's a big old heat wave going on in the UK, so we're all dealing with it in different ways. Um, mine has been to hug a tower fan as best I can. <laughs> but um, yeah, for this show, I think that if you kind of lay it out, and because like, like you said, I, I also agree. I like the future city stuff. I like the idea of setting something in like a future version of Raccoon City, and it, it's being built from the ground up by Umbrella, um, and to sort of like go down that route. And it, like you know, the, like you said, the drug that they're developing this stuff they do with that later on um it it, it kind of works i just think that there's something about how completely ridiculous a lot of the setups are and i forget which episode it's in where um evelyn does like a dance number have you had that yet i don't think i have that no, okay, that, that, yeah, no. stuff like that where the show just does things um <laughs> and then it's kind of just been i think like so much stuff and i kind of felt this with resident evil village um so much stuff is oh it's resident evil it's it's campy and over the top and ridiculous so we can do whatever and i'm like yeah it is campy and over the top and ridiculous that's why it's beautiful and brilliant but it doesn't mean you can get away with anything it doesn't mean that you can just do carte blanche absolutely ridiculous hopefully this gets gift hopefully this is a meme whatever right. Um, you have to put some effort in, and I, you know, you were saying about the um, the showrunner being quite upfront about stuff. Um, I think that if they front loaded the season with the stuff they bring in from episode five onwards, um, it would have grounded the fandom a lot more as to what to expect, and then you could have fleshed out all the stuff with what's happening in the past. Right. Um, yeah. it's just yeah, I think that it's very topsy turvy, and I think because they ask you to spend four to five hours. Um, before anything happens, it's it's ridiculous. See, I I, I agree and I disagree. As mm. is the wind of way because <laughs> as um, is the way. you mentioned before that this game, this this sorry te- television show would mm. be better if it didn't have those connections to Resident Evil, if it was its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I would disagree wholeheartedly because the best parts <laughs> of this TV show are the moments where they weave in things from the games. Like I agree, you have to find out some way itself, to do that. But uh, yeah, I know what you yeah. Mean. Totally, like they like the the best moments and the best scenes, the best sequences have been when they've taken you know elements from the games and remixed them in this new universe. Obviously, it's not a straight adaptation in terms of the story itself. Like that's not from the games. Some of the characters are, but the way it takes kind of like scenarios or puzzles or enemies and villains and kind of like incorporates them into the show kept me um, engaged. Like that episode five I was mentioning, like that's the closest we've ever got in live action form to getting a Resident Evil. Puzzle like a classic Resident Evil right, puzzle right. in an episode where you've got this incredibly convoluted um, thing. I won't spoil it, but Wesker's essentially laid out this incredibly convoluted kind of um, Easter egg hunt where you have to go through and you solve puzzles. And some of the puzzles are ripped directly from the game. And I thought that was cool. That's something that wouldn't be adapted before. Mm-hmm. But everything I like are just those kind of individual moments. It's not necessarily like the, like the bigger hole because there are so many scenes that are just like downright bad and yeah. boring and you know the terrible effects are just unsure mm-hmm. and it's it's completely brought down and it's like I, I i don't want it to get a season two 
But at the same time, I'm fine with it being this kind of like weird little experiment. Because you know? um, did you see um, Return to? Is it Welcome to Raccoon City or Return to yes. Raccoon City? Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, I did. Yes. Because that that was like well, I didn't see that because it was just so critically panned, and you said it was abysmal and whatever. But like, is that was such a okay? Take the games and literally try and film the scenes. Try and you know, have itchy tasty written on the mirror. Just make yeah. sure it's literally one hundred one or one two one what people expect from quote unquote Resident Evil. And so, but that didn't work either. Like, is there like a is there a comparison to be made in terms of where that also went wrong? Because um, like it's like trying to find the right balance between stuff. Because I would champion a brand new story that was like, like I said, like if you did a whole new story of a father and their daughter and their, his daughters and they're trying to survive in this futuristic new Raccoon City, and you just go with that. It doesn't need to be Wesker. Um, and there's like crossover in terms of like characters talk about events that have happened in the past or whatever it is. Um, I would prefer that than the what they have done. But yeah. I think that it's like trying to find that balance between like what do you pick and choose, what do you adapt? And in terms of like things like the puzzles and the enemy types, did they do that wrong in the movie in, in Return to Raccoon City? Um, well, for me, with uh, yeah, with Welcome to Raccoon City, Welcome they back. adapted the first two games. Mm -hmm. However, while they got kind of like the broad things right, you know, obviously there's a zombie outbreak, outbreak in Raccoon City. You've got the characters searching the Spencer Mansion. They yeah. just didn't kind of fundamentally understand why people liked that stuff in the first place. It was very much set dressing. So while it right. was more faithful in a lot of ways than this adaptation, it kind of didn't understand the appeal of those games, in my opinion, and certainly didn't understand the characters. Like, I think what Welcome to Raccoon City did with its characters is way more egregious than what this does with, like, Wesker or anyone. Mm. Like, the way that kind of um, movie kind of cracked all over Leon, you know, turning him into this kind of bumbling mess the way it kind of cracked all over Wesker by making him this weird kind of comic relief guy who okay. isn't menacing and is kind of good and then eventually turns bad spoilers because of course he has to turn mm -hmm. bad like they just kind of got that stuff so wrong in the movie and that's why it was so disappointing to me because it was all kind of uh, style and no substance like you said it was the itchy tasty reference it was like oh you remember this you remember this kind of person and this series absolutely has some of that like there are a couple of enemies that turn up that are from the games that get dispatched incredibly easy with without any fanfare and it's like okay i see why you've thrown that in however like i said we like that episode with the puzzles like the way that they incorporate you know wesker's background into this new version of the character that to me feels more interesting than anything welcome to raccoon city did because right. that was like someone like tracing a painting and getting it wrong whereas this is at least someone you know adapting that painting and trying to do a sequel and again getting it wrong but getting it wrong in a more interesting way because <laughs> i've seen a few people talk about um, across this weekend being like oh is this just the unadaptable ip is this just impossible to get right in a different medium because there's some intrinsic quality to the fact that you're playing out these scenarios and how much fun they're having with the gore and the enemy types and how the cutscenes are directed and how it's written and whatever else that you just can't do it in live action now i have a huge soft spot for the, the resident the Mia Jovovich stuff the big yeah. long run I like I mean I'm not gonna say I love those movies but I, I loved seeing those movies in the cinema I've only seen each of them once um well I said the first first couple a, a few times but when they started rolling out me and my friends would always go and see them in the cinema we knew exactly what we were going to be getting they were always dumb and ridiculous and even something like Resident Evil 3D was fun yeah. um did you do you have a soft spot for them and do you see them trying to pull from that like movie history stuff like uh, in different ways with the, both of these new uh, versions 
I wish they did pull more from that series because I genuinely love them. Like again, I think they're bad movies, but they're at least entertaining. You know, yeah. they kind of know what they are. They they at least even if they don't get the law right or anything like that, they get the B movie charm right. They get the totally. spectacle of it right. And and to be honest, enjoying those movies is why I'm not too miffed with the stuff that this show does with the law. Because no. while uh, the Paul W S Anderson movies like took things from the games, like that similarly crapped all of the characters like Barry, like Leon. <laughs> like Chris Redfield, you know, all uh-huh. of these iconic people, which is shafted in favor of Alice. And it's like, okay, like, I know what you're doing, but that was at least still entertaining. And for me, Welcome to Raccoon City definitely wasn't entertaining. Mm-hmm. And this new series is only sporadically entertaining. I definitely see the Paul W.S. Anderson uh, movie DNA in the post-apocalyptic parts yes. of this new series. However, they it just makes you kind of, in a weird way, appreciate him as a director because they try to do it <laughs> and they don't pull it off in, in the same way. I think a lot of the action is bad. There was one really great sequence, I thought, with liquors in a tunnel mm-hmm. that was really effective. But apart from that, everything in the future has been kind of... Yeah, I, I can't, I can't explain like, how much I hate the future so no, much. No, totally. It's, it's just so I don't bad. understand when you're adapting it, right? I can see you remixing ideas from the games. I can see you trying to do this weird sequel thing. I don't understand how you settle on the structure that they have, mm. swapping between these two timelines that are only tangentially related in one inherently sucks the momentum out of the other. Mm. To me, again, I keep going back to episode five. That's the best because it's 99% set in the past. And it's one focus story. You're not jumping around. It's not fragmented in the way the other um, episodes were. And I just, mm. I, that's why, that's why I don't want the season to continue or the show to continue because they've started this structure. And again, I have a few episodes from the end, so this might change, but I don't see them ever getting away from that. You know what I mean? It's Like I said, it's that thing um, that I mentioned earlier about like the future stuff almost ruins the point. You've made a mystery show in that past timeline, but you've, yeah. you keep showing us the answer over and over and over <laughs> again. So it just doesn't work. Like if you had everything set in the New Raccoon City and they're trying to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out the mystery of their own father and everything as the daughters, then that all works when you reveal that he's Albert Wesker near the end of the season or something. Like that's what you should have been doing, but you also needed to do the play your card for the future hand uh, or play that hand. And that also, it just negates the whole thing. Totally. I mean, you know, for me, the first episode when they break into Umbrella and, you know, Mm. stuff kind of goes down, I was genuinely enjoying that. That's where it picked up for me. And I thought if they can keep this momentum up, it might be okay. We were distracted by how weird that setup was, though. Like they were just like they use a voice clip and then she's oh, there's no security. And then there just isn't any security. Like, that's so weird. You mentioned this, but I, I saw it. I guess I didn't, you know. I, I can kind of file of... it under, oh, it's Resident Evil, but I can do yeah. that for anything. And like I said, there has to be some limit at some point of just like, well, we're just doing whatever we want, to be honest, and it's there, Resident Evil. There were way more egregious um, logic jumps than that for right. me. For that, I was just going with it. I was like, okay, they've got his voice ID. They can get in. You know, Wesker, of course, would be able to stay late. He'd be able to do whatever. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really mind that too much because, you know, he's so important to this company mm-hmm. and they had his credentials or whatever. And then the character gets bit and I thought that was going to kick something off. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's not really spoilers, but the rest of the next few episodes and then just kind of like trying to figure out what's going on, but not getting anywhere. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, I might be dying. This bite is going to hurt me. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, totally. It's very padded. It's very stretched out. And there's one really bad subplot with like an investigative journalist who kind of is going into Umbrella's past and like looking at these previous incidents and is talking about like what the virus does, what people will turn into. They'll turn into these kind of like zombies and that. And a big part of the drama for our main characters is that they don't believe him initially. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's 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 not going to happen. You know, he's lying. It's, it's never going to work like that. And like the hook an entire episode on that, mm-hmm. which of course is undercut by the fact that we have seen, we know that this we know that he's right you know we we know that he's right we're so far ahead of the characters that the drama isn't good the drama is so fast and and like convoluted and it's like Mm. could you not think of any way to create tension than this by keeping the characters in the dark to such an extent that Mm. we're just like come on man like get to the next bit you know what have you got next imagine if you had like all this stuff you follow the two um the wesker daughters but you don't know their surnames let's say you just follow them as jade and billy for the majority of the season you have it set in new raccoon city you have the fact that umbrella owns that city or whatever and at the end of the season you reveal that their dad was albert wesker yeah and then maybe you smash cut to the apocalyptic future and then you show jade all grown up or whatever um and there's other characters too that appear in the future and then it's like you can you can have that reveal of like oh it did all go wrong and okay now we need to actually get on it and sort it out and then that could have been your season two or that could have been your mid-season break or something there's something about the way that it's constructed that reeks of netflix stretching it out like there's that whole thing about netflix's retention being low and they want to get their retention numbers up um, and their viewer numbers up and that was why stranger things in theory that was why stranger things was so long and i wonder if that just is because that whole thing about the netflix and bloat or whatever and it feels applied to this it's like if you crunch yeah. this down into i don't know four episodes or five at a push um or just a movie and then make it the i because i actually didn't really realize this was a netflix tv show until only like a couple months back i thought it was another i thought it was the netflix movie right. um but i think it would have just benefited from just squeezing all those things together obviously restructuring it for me personally in terms of the mystery but it just fundamentally doesn't make sense like you yeah. can't do a murder mystery and then reveal the killer <laughs> as well <laughs> like yeah i think yeah I agree. I think if it was more condensed, even a movie, like you say, you know, take out some of the most egregious characters, <laughs> take out all of the humor, dumb the melodrama down a little bit and just mm-hmm. kind of have those good Resident Evil poppers, have the mystery of how is Wesker here when he's supposed to be dead in the right. show, you know, like have those mysteries be the heart of it mm-hmm. and kind of essentially what they need to do is completely scrap this show and start again and do <laughs> anything else, I think, and then you'll would... be all right massively back that um so yeah you'll finish resident evil maybe we'll dip back in next week see what you think after you get all the revelations that come from the rest of this season um but overall i i'm always glad something gets made and i like them pushing for something new but i think it just would be better served if it was its own ip or if it just yeah if it was you're almost if, if the entire season was almost inverted basically but you'll see what i mean as you get going and um, we'll dip into some stuff that we've been playing you've returned to oblivion over the weekend yes. i believe and i want to know what this was like going back to 2006's oblivion in 2022 i almost pied it off scott Tilford because i went back to it <laughs> and i had a, like a moment like uh, i've talked on this podcast before i had a couple of weeks break right. from video games and then at the weekend i got the hunger back so i downloaded final fantasy 15 i downloaded <laughs> yeah. oblivion i downloaded oh my all God. Of these titles very quickly the conversation that we had where you <laughs> insisted on picking between final fantasy 13 and final fantasy 15 i was like it's gonna have to be 15 even though i'm screaming a million voices cried out in agony or whatever it is because it should be seven or nine but Oh my God, Josh Brown. Would you like to know the reason I landed on Oblivion, Scott Tilford? I, I it, would. It was because Final Fantasy 13 wasn't actually on PlayStation Plus. And I Good. thought it was. And it wasn't there. So I was literally locked out it's on, of it's that. On Game Pass. Is it on Game Pass? I think it's on Game Pass. Holy hell. I might I, have to I, switch I like these entirely. More. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I like you more than I don't like Resident Evil Final Fantasy 13. <laughs> so I will give you the friendly advice of it's on Game Pass. But oh my God, don't play Final Fantasy 13 as your second Final Fantasy. Well, I'm definitely going to, but for now I'm playing Oblivion. So I've, I've, I've gone back to that. And to be honest, for the first hour of Oblivion, I didn't think I was going to continue it because that game infamously has, you know, a very a bad first impression where, you, you know, you're wandering through the sewers, you're killing mm. rats. It takes a while to get going. And I've played that opening so many times myself in my past. You know, I played Oblivion to death when I, mm-hmm. when I first got my Xbox 360. However, now it's opened up. I'm appreciating it so much more than I did back in the day because this was like kind of like my first, rpg in a, okay. in a way you know it's my first certainly my first open world rpg mm-hmm. so when i was playing at the t- at the time i was literally learning the mechanics of it i was learning the tropes of how these games even work and now going back to it you know decades later after playing all of uh skyrim fallout 4 all the witcher 3 all of that mm-hmm. stuff there are so many things that i just missed the first time around treating right. it as more of an action game and there are so many more side quests than i uh ever expected before and even from the first few hours i've stumbled into so much new content that i didn't know was there that's mm. really good and i've i always liked oblivion because skyrim is great you know skyrim is one of the best games of all time yeah. but i quite like the uh the more classical fantasy fantasy setting of oblivion you know it's more colorful yes the kind of it's not as um not Kabloom. that skyrim yeah it's yeah yeah exactly like not that skyrim is edgy but this is kind of you know it's it's kind of bolder and more vibrant. It's more Tolkien, like it's, it's more, more like Tolkien, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, see, my thing with Oblivion, uh, the controversial take, I could never get away with Oblivion. I tried it so many times. I remember my entire friendship group playing it back in two thousand six, and I just couldn't connect with that game at all. I just thought it was so 
dragged out and, I, and like the way that all the um the merchant stuff is laid out where it's like i'm like trying to find somewhere to get better gear trying to find somewhere to offload the crap that i'm picking up in the dungeons and just not connecting with that game's rollout of missions and the, the gameplay loops that were there my first proper elder scrolls was skyrim that was the one that i've i mean i've got a copy of skyrim on every platform now <laughs> but yeah i've never clicked with oblivion so um it was one of the ones that i've always ever done the, the opening couple hours of and just, right. just went, this is just awful for me See, I, I do get that, especially, you know, you mentioned like being over encumbered and having all this gear that you don't want. That actually mm. is a really weird problem in the opening because mm. once you've done like one or two dungeons, you should suddenly have all of this stuff. Uh, and then it feels like you can't progress. It feels like that's the way of the game, like road blocking you until you start doing the main quests and get your own house, and get your mm. own chests to put stuff in and whatnot. But yeah, I had a similar situation where I just felt kind of like overwhelmed jumping back into it. Even though I played so many of these games now, I was like, where do I go? Like there's so much stuff. Like mm -hmm. what's the best way to approach this content? But now I think when you stick with it, and once you get into like those main cities, once you unlock the guilds, uh, like the game gets so much more focused and mm -hmm. you kind of like know what you're doing way more. So I would recommend if you ever want to get back to it to, uh, you know, get a bit further into kind of like go to a few more cities, talk to more people, build that quest log up, get a home base. And then I think you can kind of like go from there because it okay. does hold up, especially on Game Pass, man. Like it holds up surprisingly well. Like I was going to say, how is the performance side of it? Yeah, yeah it, 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 the performance is excellent. In fact, it solves a lot of issues that the game had in 2006 or whatever, because mm. obviously you're loading in between every area you go to. Like if you're going inside a building, you have to hit a big loading screen. But now mm. with Game Pass, especially playing on a next-gen system, like that's almost instantaneous. So it takes a lot of the kind of busy work out of the game, which mm -hmm. is really nice. And it still looks really good. The upscaling they've done on it is solid. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a really good version of the game to play if you were ever interested. Way yeah, better yeah. than it was in or 6 on the Speaking of load time saving, something i went back to fable 3 now no. forget what sparked this i was editing an article and someone was writing about fable 3 and i just was looking at that and i was like i've not touched fable 3 since it first came out and i hated it and i was part of that wave of people going what the hell are you guys doing i hate all this stuff with you know you hit pause and it goes into that weird room like there's no menus in it because it's all room based you hit pause yeah. you go into a room you talk to john cleese and you go and you got to walk up to your attire and walk up to your weapons and all that kind of stuff the series x um probably the series s2 absolutely saves that because it's instant loading so it is like hitting a pause menu you still have to run to put your attire on and run around the room run around it a menu as if it was a real thing um but that game i think it's not, I mean, I love Fable 1 and 2. I think that um, 3 has a really weird rushed setup where it's like Michael Fassbender is this evil uh, lord who's like your brother and he's just, he's immediately like absolute tyrant and he's just sort of like <laughs> executing civilians and he's asking you to choose between who should be killed, whether it's your lover or the, um, the populace. And then you immediately leave and you go on the big hero's journey and everything. Um, but that game, I mean, like, it does play pretty well. It has, like, a weird sort of animation priority feel to the combat where it wants to look more gorgeous. It wants to make you do these big spinny acrobatic moves more than it wants to feel responsive. But it's not too bad. Um, I just want to quickly throw that in. My weekend's been a ridiculous uh, living the dip life. Uh, no, man. Between many things. I want to know more about Fable 3 because Fable <laughs> 3 has the illustrious um, award of being the very first game I ever refused to finish. Like, really? I used to finish everything and I got Fable 3 on Game Pass, one of the, not Game Pass, <laughs> uh, Xbox Live Gold. It was like, right, one right. of the first ones that they gave for free and I was, no I was, oh, I was kind of like, I enjoyed Fable 2, but I wasn't a huge fan of the series as right. we discussed in yes. that 
Fable 3, man, was just, oh, it was, it was like a dagger in my heart, it was. <laughs> well, they, they stripped back. So the thing is, that's why it works better now with completely reset or, or you know, minus expectations, because you can just go into it going like, I fancy a bit of Fable. I'll go on this. It'll be all like hyper over-the-top English accents and over-the-top English jokes, and you can fart and burp on people, and then they all go, oh, cheers for that, mate, and they'd give you a handshake and everything. Whereas like back in the day when it first launched, all the, the strip back nature of the menus, the strip back nature of the customization, um, and the way that you were playing and the character builds, the fact that the weapons transform rather than being a bunch of different weapons and stuff like that, all those things were like, what the hell is this? And because it makes such a weird first impression where they're asking you to sort of go around and, and get followers, but you do that by, well, your initial interactions with any NPC, your only options are hold hand or burp. So it makes no sense why you're just grabbing people's hands <laughs> and running around the kingdom with them. Um, but the overall setup um, in 2022, in a, in, a, in a time after many years of political strife, doing a game about getting a bunch of followers to overthrow a tyrannical government, I, I vibe with that more in 2022, not in a UK sense. Um, in overall Western sense, um, I do in regards to the last few years of America in particular. I think that's an interesting thematic that back in mm. 2012 or whenever this first launched um, just didn't connect with me at all. And I think the way that they handle the political side of it isn't that interesting. It's not, it doesn't have much to it. It's some part of me likes the product nature of going up to NPCs, farting on them or burping, burping on a child's face, and then that getting you more followers um, so you can run your campaign. <laughs> there is a side of that that is almost like, is this what you guys were going for in the first place? That like politics and you know campaign building and all that kind of momentum stuff is just one big farce. Is that what they were going for? I don't know. Right. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It ticks the box of a little bit of Fable, but it's not a patch on Fable 2, which is for me still one of the best RPGs of all time. Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't mind revisiting because you've touched on something something there that I really enjoy. And it's kind of like going back to these games that were so criticized in the context of their franchises mm. and going back to them like a decade later mm. um, in a vacuum, you know, and kind of just treating them as this one-off uh, one-off experience that you can now kind of appreciate in a new light. I know uh, like DMC Devil May Cry obviously, you know, succeeds so much now yeah. that it's not the start of a new franchise, that it is just kind of like this one experimental title in a totally. series that then picked up with the Dante everyone loved and now you can kind of go back and reappreciate it for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, same with kind of like Dead Space 3 now that there's no chance of, you know, getting a proper Dead Space 4 <laughs> from this totally game. It's totally killed the IP, but you can kind of appreciate it without those kind of, for me at least, the pressure of all of those expectations. Mm -hmm. So I would be interested to go back to Fable 3 because the reason I didn't like it was that it came at a time in 2012 where so many RPGs were just getting streamlined. Yes. Like you said, you know, between this and Mass Effect 3 uh, and a couple others, you know, it was just these games where you could see the kind of originality of them. Elements, yeah. yeah, those signature elements being kind of siphoned away and you know, being molded into something a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more simple. Mm -hmm. And for me, I hated that in Fable 3 because for as spectacular as, as, the, as, as the combat was, I just found it like mind-numbing. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even take into account the plot really at the time. And I do like a fart button, so maybe maybe <laughs> now is the time. Maybe it's Final Fantasy 13 of Fable 3. That's my oh next Oh my one. god. That's, I mean, I just, I can't, I've tried to impress upon you the need to not go <laughs> anywhere near final fantasy 13 at least until you played 7 9 8 <laughs> 10 anything else um as i scream in this tiny room but it's I, i'm sure you'll play 13 and then you'll enjoy the opening cutscene like we all did 
and hopefully do a runner <laughs> afterwards. Speaking of doing a runner, I played Blade Runner. I finished Blade Runner on um, Saturday Night Blade Runner Enhanced Edition, which I also included in this uh, for the sites, the video on the worst games of the year, um, mainly because of its uh, launch day. It has been patched, thankfully, not fully. Um, this game is a, a re-release of a game from initially from 1997. It's a point and click. Um, and I, the the new version is made by Night Dive Studios there to go in. Apparently, they couldn't get access to the original version of the game, which is owned by EA. Um, I don't know whether it's that they couldn't find it or whatever reason EA didn't give them access to the original game. So they had to rebuild it from scratch. Um, and so they've done their best. Um, but the launch day version meant, and some of this carries over to the version that you can get now, um, different frame rates for different aspects on screen, whether it's your character, the background, illegibility of a lot of in-game signage, um, general scripting bugs with some things not triggering properly or whatever. Um, most of, well, I'm going to say most, enough of that stuff has been patched where you can enjoy the game. And I did um, finish it. There's a ton of different endings and there's a ton of different ways that you can play it. Um, and I really, really love just how much the story changes based on which evidence you find, what order you find it in, who you talk to, and just how many checks and balances the game is doing in the background that it doesn't tell you about where you get to the end. And it's like, oh, you were um, a sympathizer for the Android. So actually, <laughs> um, you're going um, to you have the option to leave with them. I, the ending that I got, um, I sided with the main villain and all of his companions who were just like, we're just trying to live and extend our lifespan, kind of like Roy Batty is in the movie. Um, and we've got this spaceship if you want to come with us. Um, and so my ending, and I guess it's not really spoilers because there's literally like 15 endings. Um, my ending was was me sort of siding with them and going like, we're going to go off into space and make some actual memories now that we've realized that all of our memories are imprinted. Um, and I was like, that's such a cool revelation. And that meant that my dude was actually a synth or an android as well. Yeah. Um, and that, so that's the way that that went. But there's ways that you can play that game where you stay as a human. You can absolutely execute everyone that you come across. Um, you can find loads of evidence in advance, which changes all the conversations that you have. And so it's a really, really, really cool game. I think it's hampered so much by this weird, bastardized version that you've got now. Um, I know the devs are still trying to patch it and everything. I don't think there's that much getting around some of the character model stuff, which is just very, very hazy. Um, it looks like a like a 240p character on like a 1080p background. Um, and you've got, like I said, different frame rates on the characters and the backgrounds. Um, but overall, as much as I think objectively it's it's a bit of a mess, I had a lot of fun with it. And I think if you like the Blade Runner mythos and you like the Blade Runner thematics, and that world especially, um, there's an atmosphere to this and there's, a, there's the, the score to it. Um, that that works. Like if you want to be in, if you want to be in Blade Runner as it was in the original uh, movie, it absolutely ticks that box. Yeah, I mean, you put some screenshots on Twitter, if mm. I recall correctly, that you looked do. just incredibly lush. You know, you talk about the atmosphere there, and that's the thing that appeals to me: the atmosphere totally. alongside, like you were saying, you know, the impact you can have on the story and the endings, and even the kind of makeup of your own character. To mm -hmm. me, that's the appealing thing, and I think I might try this out for myself if I do get the chance. However, um, not to perhaps jump on your parade, rain on your parade, <laughs> you jump, jump ahead of parade, you mate. in the queue is what I'm trying to Ride say. That float. Everything you just said about the Blade Runner game is actually what's made me excited about a game you've been playing called Citizen Sleeper, which yes. I downloaded and will definitely did you download it? get to. I did. In fact, I started last night, right? But I was listening to a podcast at the same time. And no. because it's so text heavy, uh, uh, I didn't take it in. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll pile the game. Oh, no, that's so I'm like really into it. That's that's a headphone game. That's a, everyone yeah. else has gone to sleep and I'm playing it at two in the morning game. That is a get absolutely get that game score and the atmosphere. It needs your full attention. That thing. Yeah. Citizen Sleeper. I mean, the thing is, 
I've finished a lot of stuff these last few days. Neon White Blade Runner, um, Citizen Sleeper. And so, yeah, um, yeah, massive shout out to Neon White, by the way. That game is still immaculate. But yeah, Citizen Sleeper, to quickly wrap that stuff up, um, is a game based on dice rolls and you're um, rolling dice to see, you know, whether you're going to actually be able to fulfill the task or do well in a conversation or make some money or whatever. But um, what, well, actually, I guess, what did you think of the opening setup? Did you get? Did you actually take much from it or did you only play the very, very beginning of it? It was literally, I chose my character class and I got right. through the, uh, the first ream of text when you're waking up in, in wherever the hell mm. you are. And it was, <laughs> just um it was it was so disco elysium but not yeah. in a bad way even the way that the dialogue rolls in you mm. know is is so like that game and mm. i love disco elysium and to be honest this was something that you had to sell me on hard because <laughs> when i looked at the trailer i wasn't kind of fully sold it takes mm. me a, a lot to get into cyberpunk stories because i find a lot of the kind of cliches surrounding that genre quite grating on oh, me yeah. personally. Sometimes I think it's if you very, do very cyber- easy to do cyberpunk wrong. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, mm. if you do cyberpunk wrong, which so many people do, uh, to me, it's just some of the worst stuff I can ever consume. Oh, However, looking at that trailer, looking at some of the things that you've said about it and playing that opening, I thought, right, this is, it's not what I was expecting. It's mm. not the kind of stereotypical uh, cyberpunk game. I don't necessarily think and it nope. seems like it's treating its um, themes in its world with a little bit more uh, weight, if that makes oh, sense. The, the general setup is just that you are essentially a duplicate consciousness that has escaped your flesh body. You've made a duplicate consciousness, implanted it in an android. The real you is somewhere else, and you've been shipped off to arrive on this sort of ring world, this sort of um, like factory ring world. And you just make of that space whatever you want. Like you said, you can pick a class, um, and you sort of just go to work, and you figure out what's going on, and, and what kind of life do you want to make for yourself. And um, you, there are different impetuses that turn up in terms of you know the company that you've escaped from doesn't really like the fact that you're not doing work anymore and so they've dispatched a bounty hunter and things like that and so um yeah, it'll be up to you how you deal with that and i love how much they sort of connote this wider almost open world rpg um set the amount of options that you would get with an open world rpg like a witcher or something or, or cyberpunk 2077 um but all done through this one sort of overarching view of the ring world itself um, and all done through character art and an immaculate script and an immaculate score and just yeah i absolutely love it i think that it has a it has a weird effect on me that it sort of gave me like a weird like a melancholic reflection of my own life my own purpose my own being because i think that if the best cyberpunk makes you realize that you are just a series of weird synaptic connections forming a thought and that is all you are like just, <laughs> like animating this meat as i talk to you for a bit and like i think some of the best cyberpunk can do that and can then just be like okay what even is life and purpose and all that kind of stuff and i think that like you said that stuff can be done weirdly can be done wrong can be done cheesily or whatever um, but I also think that there's a beauty in finding connections to another person or whatever it is, because there's such a nothing that you're starting from, um, potentially. And I think that game walks that line so well. And I think that when it hits certain um, plot beats, it hits certain revelations, um, and just the character writing, all that stuff really, really worked in a way that I was like, this is, for me, I don't think it's like the, the website's game of the year, but I think it's, right. it definitely absolutely hit me. And I just, yeah, that that game was kind of like, um, a bit like Disco Elysium meets uh, Spirit Fairer, which was another game that just absolutely like spoke to me kind of thing and um, from a couple of years back. So 
I would massively encourage you to play Citizen Sleeper, but um, in a very focused context. 100%. That was it. Like, that's why I kind of stopped it because I just knew I wanted to do it justice. Mm. Uh, what you said there about it being melancholy is actually the vibe that uh, got me in. You mm. know, when I realized it was going to be that more than it was going to be kind of uh, a little bit cheesy, like you mentioned. And um, yep. that was what kind of sold me on it. So, yeah, definitely. I like that it's only a couple hours long, you know, five or six hours. Yeah. Uh, get through this game. It's on Game Pass as well, which mm -hmm. was also very handy. So once this heat, heat wave dies down <laughs> and I can read again at home without sweating from my eyes, yeah. I will uh I It is a game that you, you have to read. Uh, yeah, which is, like you said, a bit like Disco Elysium. But I think that the script is incredible. Uh, I think it's Gareth Damien Martin is the, is the coder, the writer. Um, There's a small team that made it. The composer is a different dude. But... Yeah, overall, Citizen Sleeper, if you like your cyberpunk stories or you like your melancholic philosophical reflections on the state of being, <laughs> check out that game. And um, we should end on, you were checking out Man of Medan, uh, we should end on that because that is Supermassive's weird bridge between Until Dawn and The Quarry, which just came out uh, last month. Yeah, totally. So this is like the first entry that they did in that Dark Pictures anthology. Mm. And it was one that I've had like downloaded on both Xbox and PlayStation for about a year. <laughs> and I've been telling myself that I'll get around to playing convince it. Yourself. Yeah, I'd convince myself that it. now is the time to finally play Man of Medan. Uh -huh. And after the quarry, obviously we talked about maybe going to visit the Dark Pictures anthology because it is this weird connective tissue between that and Until Dawn. And to be honest, so far... I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. I think the okay. opening, which, again, no spoilers because it's the opening, it's set on like this um, tanker during World War II and you play as the soldier and essentially some supernatural thing is going down on the boat and playing that, it was just like playing the quarry or until mm. dawn. It was kind of of a similar quality, which very much helped get me uh, more involved into the series than I may have been otherwise. It's definitely ropey. You know, once right. you cut away from that prologue scene into our proper cast of characters, it's definitely uh, lacking a Is certain that... level of finesse. Yeah. But it's, I'm only early days in, but I like the setting. And I think as a kind of turn your brain off horror experience, especially in this heat, like I've mentioned, you know, it's kind of, it's hitting that cinematic interactive movie style in a confident way which is enough right now to get me in that's good i mean the, the when you mentioned the when you cut away from the initial scene and go to the main cast is that they're all getting ready to go on like they're getting life jackets or something on they're all gonna yes because i have the vaguest memory of this game i remember starting the game i don't remember the prologue bit unless they've added that to get people to keep people in i remember it starting with the life jackets everyone's like a youth focused thing where they're all going to jump on a boat and stuff and i remember just thinking the animation was just so horrible and just so <laughs> ropey and like 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 it just didn't land because i love until dawn we had that in our top 10 best games best playstation games of the last 10 years and um, well, the last generation, and then yeah, there's what a drop off to Man of Medan. Hopefully, it's been patched and touched up, but I guess there's still bits and pieces that are a bit um, could be better. Yeah, it's not too bad, you know. I mean, again, I'm coming off the quarry, which in itself mm. had its own animation issues, so I'm kind of comparing it to that, and it's it's very similar. You know, some mm. of the mouth syncing is better in Man of Medan than it was in the quarry. Right. In fact, some of the way it kind of moves between cutscenes and kind of like conversation choices is actually more natural as well. You know, sometimes in the quarry, it would have that kind of brief pause or mm. cut to black between you deciding what to say and like them saying it. And this doesn't have that. It's kind of more of a Mass Effect style conversation system where it kind of just pops up as the scene is playing so it's it's a little bit more immersive in that in that regard but mm -hmm. yeah the the first scene on the boat it has some neat ideas like a lot of super massive games it's kind of like you're there for the ambition of it rather than the execution of it yeah if that makes yeah. sense 
Uh, what was my thing cool... with them? Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, because there are some cool like set pieces that they, that they throw at you. For instance, mm. you know, they're diving in that opening scene, so you control the characters underwater as you move through. And I like that they at least kind of keep it varied, because they could phone it in so much mm. by just having you walk around a haunted house, but they're constantly at least trying to find new ambitious ways to tell a horror story. And like you said, you know, it doesn't always work, but I'm, I appreciate <laughs> the ambition nonetheless. Because I feel like Corey has sort of reignited this, like, oh my god, yeah, super massive. Like I remember checking out the um, the Dark Pictures stuff when they first launched, but it was just Man of Medan. I was so put off by that, and then because they, as a studio, were so all over the place. Anyway, I didn't bother going back. But Corey, for as much as I didn't vibe with that, did remind me of how much I love them as a studio or the potential of them. And I was like, maybe there's something I missed in Man of Medan, Lost Hope. Is it Lost Hope? And the other one. Yes. Uh, House of Ashes. Yeah. I was like, maybe there's something in there that I missed. And so um, two of the three of them are on PlayStation Premium, and I think some of them are on Game Pass or whatever as well. Um, not House of Ashes, which is one that, for me, has one of the most interesting premises, where it's just like a, a ghost story in like, a, like an Iraqi cave, and a bunch of soldiers get lost in it or something. And I was like, that... At least that's more, I don't know, not necessarily more unique, but like I like the idea, the potential of that anyway. Well, that's the one I've bought, Scott. I literally Ooh. bought that in December of last year and right. played the opening and then never got back to it. So <laughs> this is why I'm going back to Man of Medan to play them all in order and uh -huh. finally justified that purchase. I have one final question. In speaking of ship-based horror, have you seen Triangle? Yes, I have. What a you film. Know, I love Triangle. <laughs> Me too. I really did. You know what? I hope this goes very Triangle mm. by the end, and then I'll be very happy if it does. Because I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that film existed. And then, yeah, in, in the spate of saying to my wife, we should play the Man of Medan stuff, look, it's a big ghosty tanker thing. And I was like, oh my God, Triangle was a big ghosty tanker thing. And watch I remember Triangle. Really, watch Triangle. And my wife hasn't seen it. So I was like, yeah, we should absolutely watch Triangle. So just, just shout out to Triangle, to be honest. <laughs> Blade Runner, Oblivion, and Triangle. But yes, and um, for now, this has been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. I almost hit the button to just <gasps> cut you off, and that would end. killed the recording. Let me just oh, do shit. That's not good. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.